we are in for an incredible treat today. Levi Bankert, our friend, began to care for orphans and widows in 2009 when he moved to Ethiopia with his whole family after having taken a two-week mission trip there that deeply moved him. In 2011, Levi and his wife Jesse started the Bring Love In community in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Bring Love In exists to show the love of God by giving families to children who have none. Bring Love In forms forever families by pairing a widow from the local Christian church with orphans who are not adoptable. It is a beautiful thing. Jesse and Levi and Bring Love In also works very, very hard to preserve families from the devastating effects of poverty through their Keep One Home program, another beautiful ministry. We're so excited to have Levi here today sharing with us. And so would you please give a very warm Journey Church welcome to our friend, Levi Banker. Uh, my wife and I, as Brian said, uh, we live in Ethiopia. We have four kids of our own. Uh, we have been there for almost six years now. Uh, really blessed to be able to be there and do what we do. But, you know, I want to frame what I have to say with you. Here's the family here. Um, we're not special people. We're not coming to you. I'm not standing up in front of you trying to say that I've got it all figured out. Uh, my wife and I were just normal people who rely on God's grace to get through every single day. The reason we live in Ethiopia, I just said that. Before I get into what I prepared for you today, <clears throat> I want to say, though, that some of this stuff is heavy. Some of it is going to cause you to want to squirm in your seats and may even make you want to go home and sell your house. I didn't fly halfway around the world to come and tell you about ways that you can feel better about yourself. I came here because I believe that it is time for us to start giving of our lives to something that matters. I'm going into this assuming that you're a normal person just like me and that you too rely on God's grace every day the same as I do. But I believe that normal people should be changing the world. That being said, if this is a problem for you, I counted there are eight exit doors all along the back of the room. You might just want to get, go out one of them. I think we actually lost to people in some of the earlier services. I believe that God did not come into this world to make our lives easy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. He didn't call us to live for us. We don't serve a domesticated, safe God. We serve a dangerous God. And he calls us to live a life that is a dangerous one. I'm calling what I prepared for you today, How to Change the World, or The Myth of a Silver Bullet. I really couldn't just settle on one title, so you get two today. God, he's not in the business of safety. He didn't come to this earth preaching about comfort and bank accounts. He came here with a simple message. If we read in Mark 12, 30 through 33, I, I know you've all heard this before, but I really believe this is one of the most important messages that God left with us. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. Love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself, all your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Do you notice that Paul does not say, love your neighbor with part of your mind? 
or like your neighbor's Facebook status updates. Love your neighbor as yourself. This passage, if we really look at it, this is a call for us to change the world. This is a command for us to not leave things that we see in the world as they are, but for us to rise up and to meet those needs. And it is given to us as clear as day by Jesus himself when he was on this earth. I love it. It's the simplest clarification at the end. He says, there is no other commandment greater than this. He never says that again in the Bible. There was nothing else that he called out and said those words about. I think that we should pay attention. Friends, I am a sinner. Daily, I am in great need of Jesus to forgive me. I have a sinful in nature sinful nature inside me that makes me want to despise my neighbors. And since we're being honest here, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Sometimes I don't like helping poor people. I get uncomfortable around people who smell bad and I squirm and wiggle my way out of it when God asks me to do something that doesn't fit into my own perfect little plan. Yet for some reason, I, the last guy who should be standing in front of you telling you anything about giving up your life to God, I'm here. And again and again, I keep getting these assignments to come and talk about topics just like this. You see, I used to have the perfect life. I had the nice cars, the fancy house, even the swimming pool and hot tub in my backyard. What I'm saying is that God let me go through this season of my life. It was about 10 years where he basically just said, go for it. Do what you want to do. See how that turns out. He let me go down my own special planned out path and it ended up with just about everything that I wanted and then that I held on to being taken away from me. My business failed, my marriage was circling the drain, my whole life was a disaster, I was bankrupt. And right there in the middle of that darkness, my wife comes along with this little line about, let's move to Africa. (laughs) It wasn't until later that I realized that she was talking about moving our family from this house on the left that the business that I owned had built to a mud house like this. This was our kitchen, actually. We washed dishes right here when the the water was on, which it normally wasn't, and washed clothes right there. And you can't see it's in the picture, but there were about 50 bottles of of water that we had to fill up every time the water was on because it was off more often than it was on. Honestly, my outlook on life before we went was such a mess that I would have moved anywhere. Still, my wife clearly took advantage of this desperate situation and got our family to go a completely different direction. Me, the guy who likes nice things, the guy who at 23 years old figured out how to buy the most expensive house in our city. Sure, honey, let's move to Africa to help the poor. This was a train wreck waiting to happen. Anyone could see that. I promised my wife that we would go for a year. And then I said, we're coming back and I'm going to build another big business. This one's going to be bigger and I'm going to make a whole bunch of money. As soon as we landed, though, God started to get a hold of my heart. He began tearing away the walls that I had built around my heart. And little by little, he started removing the plans that I had and replaced them with his plans. And he keeps doing it every day. Most days, I still fight against what he's doing with everything in me. But some days, every once in a while, I see what he's up to. I get a glimpse of the bigger picture. And I'm thankful for all that he has done. So you see what I mean when I say that I am the last guy who should be standing in front of you talking about how God wants our lives. This giving my life to God business does not come easy for me. 
You know how Paul in the Bible has talked about how he was the greatest of people who was persecuting the Jews? I was the greatest of the live your life for yourself people. All I'm saying here is I'm a sinner and I stand before you today with this message as a reformed neighbor hater. It does not mean that I'm special now or I'm just a normal guy who needs a lot of God's grace. I love this quote from Ruth Haley Barton. She says, many of us want a spiritual journey because that sounds pretty cool, but we don't want a faith journey, a journey that requires us to risk everything or to move beyond the mostly comfortable existence that we've carved out for ourselves. The truth is, there is no real spiritual journey that does not at some point require some sort of bungee jumping of our soul, some sort of radical letting go of what we are holding on to. Today, I'm here to talk with you about that radical letting go, about the bungee jumping of the soul. Today, I'm here to tell you that there is a whole mess of need out there in the world that is waiting for you to do something about it. Your neighbors, the ones that God talks about in that verse, they are hurting. They are starving. There are children today as we sit here in these comfortable chairs in this heated building whose parents have recently died of starvation, who are living in an orphanage, who, make, who will wake up tomorrow maybe to find out that they are being sold into slavery. There are young women who are taking jobs, hauling rocks all day, only to be raped that same night and then to give their lives to raise the son that was born from the man who took them, them the thing that was not his to take. I have met these women. I have met these children. I have sat in their homes made out of mud and sticks and I have watched as they cried telling me their stories of what their lives have been made up of. I've sat in waiting rooms of hospitals with children as they waited to hear if doctors could help them get rid of scars that were placed on them by their parents. Mothers who tried to murder their daughters out of rage, out of desperation, out of hunger. Sons whose fathers beat them and then later left never to come back again, leaving only scars. These are our neighbors. When Jesus says that we're to love our neighbors, he's not talking about handing out cups of sugar to your minivan driving family next door. He is asking us to get our hands dirty. He wants us to walk over and to get into their lives, to love them until it hurts. He's talking about giving up our lives and accepting the passion that he has for the poor. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. People, the harvest is dying for your help. The fields are starting to rot out there because there are so few workers who are standing up to collect the harvest. Our time is right now to do something. This is the generation that can stop this. Poverty shouldn't exist like it does anymore. I didn't fly halfway around the world to come and tell you about some shiny new plan to stop poverty and the orphan crisis. I wish that I did, but that does not work that way as much as I would like it to. There are no silver bullets that we can use 
We must fight with all we have. We must roll up our sleeves and get bloody if we're going to get anywhere in this war. I came here to tell you that there is one and only one solution for this problem, and that is this, hard work. It is time for us to plow the fields, to do away with the idea that we can just magically somehow live our lives over here while our neighbors are living their lives over there, hungry and without hope. It's time to start doing something to help them. Edmund Burke once said, all that is needed for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. We don't need new innovative ideas or never heard before heard of solutions to solve these problems. What we need is a workforce. We need a dedicated and determined people who are willing to stand up who are unwilling to back down no matter how hard it looks. We need men and women who will fight with our fists with everything we've got in us. The plans are already laid. The strategies are already clear. What's missing are the soldiers. Are you going to be a soldier? The spiritual life cannot be made suburban. It is always frontier. It is when we forget that It is when we try to live without that that we stop having purpose. Justice takes action. Action takes guts. And the kind of guts you need for problems this big come from a place of fire inside you. And that kind of fire, it can only come from God. We can't do this on our own. What are you pouring your life into? Be honest, make a list, spend the time to pick the top three things that you're giving your life to. If changing the world is not on that list, then I'm going to challenge you today. Your list is wrong. What is your passion? What part of the world will you stand to change? I want you to leave this room today in a place where you and I are able to look at the poor and to say three simple words that change everything. I'm with you. To say this to them, to say to them that you are not alone in this and to really mean it. This is a war and I'm standing before you today as a recruiter. You are needed. How, you might ask, how can I change the world? I wish I had counted the times I've received emails from people who ask the same question. Messages from people who are ready to do something but don't know what that something is. I'm ready, they say, now what? In answer to all those who feel ready but don't know what's next, I've put together what I think are the 10 best ways to begin to bring hope to a desperate world. Number one, don't walk in the door thinking that you will change everything by simply preaching the gospel. We must go in with our whole heart and let our light shine, show people that we care and that we want to make a difference in their world. Then, once we have earned that right, we can speak about God's love. We can share with them about the hope in his salvation. But we must come in and show love before we can talk about God's love. If I read one more email from somebody who's stuck at home in Mississippi or Ohio and feels that there are no needs around them, I'm seriously gonna throw my computer out the window. This world is full of needs. The question is if your heart is willing to help with those needs. Start by being willing. It's number two. 
Tell God that you're ready and he will bring the needs to you. These problems need leaders who will start right where they are at home. You don't need to move to Liberia in order to find the needy. In fact, the most helpful people who do the most for our ministry in Ethiopia live in Alabama. Nick and Millie were actually here last week for the conference. They do almost all of the, the back-end stuff and emails and accounting and all sorts of different things for our ministry. And it wasn't because they didn't want to live in Ethiopia. They said, we'll, we'll go wherever we're needed and decided right there at home is where they could step up and do something. Beyond that, there are plenty of needs right in your home community that you can meet. Number three, make a plan. Stop your life for this process. Don't keep going on as usual or you will never change anything. Go away alone or with your spouse. Be willing to put everything in your life on the chopping block. Hold nothing back. Start searching your heart for what makes you passionate and find that thing that God put inside you that won't go away and figure out how to rework everything so that you can focus on that. God made all of us passionate. Not so that we can sit around and watch the next episode of Bachelor with our heads in the sand to the needs around the world. He made us this way so that we can make a difference. Christians, we are plan A for the world. There are no plans B and C. Stop what you're doing and figure out where you fit into God's plan for changing the world. Number four, don't go alone. We were built for community. And we need others by our side in this. I cannot stress enough to you the importance of placing yourself as part of a team. Put leaders above you who can teach you. Train up leaders beside you who need your help. Be accountable and don't ever pretend that you're hot stuff and that you've got this on your own. Number five, stop whining. By definition, the world that we live in is a fallen world. It is time to get over it and start making the best of where we are at today. Number six, don't get stuck in the trap of thinking that there are not any needs around you. Comfortable isn't a good place to be. Go out today, sell your extra car, give all the money away if that's what it's gonna take to shake you up and make you see that there are needs everywhere. Only you can answer the question of what it is that you're hanging on to that stops you from making a difference in the world. Find that thing, give it away, and sell it. Do away with what is stopping you and start really living for God. Number seven, trust God. This one I have such a hard time with. Drop the act of pretending that we're in control and give it all up to him. He is in charge around here and once and for all, we need to quit this game of thinking that we have got this. We don't have this. Our next breath, our next moment, it is all a gift from God. And the moment that we start to live our lives with that realization is the moment that everything changes. Number eight, quit waiting around to hear the voice of God shouting at you through the clouds. When I stop and I look back at my life, I can see that God speaks to me mostly through the Bible. 
through the, the moral code that he has written on my soul and through the truth of his word. And then also through the needs that he puts in front of me and, and then the abilities that he gives me to meet those needs. I used to go around looking for thunder from heaven and writing on the wall and miracles. And I finally got to the place where I realized I am okay with the fact that God doesn't normally speak to me that way. If that's how he speaks to you, then that's great, that's fine. But if it's not, that's okay as well. I don't need to see any more of a miracle than the one that allows me to stand here breathing and living. That's enough for me. It is what I choose to do with that miracle of life. That is what matters. Number nine, start today right where you're at, make a commitment to give your heart, your whole life and all that God has given you to change everything that you see that is wrong in the world. Jesus does not say, come to me, all you have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander and I will give you rest. No, Jesus opens his arm to the needy children and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The criteria for coming to Jesus is messiness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. That's how he wants us. We don't need to clean up first. We don't need to be perfect and sinless. He forgives us and he calls us into a life of more, a life of purpose. Lastly, and I'm calling this number 10, but really this is the point. This is what we're here for today. I wanna leave you with something that has been just tearing its way through my life, just unearthing my, my heart and soul and causing me to reshuffle things that, and just look at everything differently. I stumbled upon this when I was rereading that incredible book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. In it, he says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but it is one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world who were just those who thought more of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade. All of these men left their mark on earth because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. I don't know about you, but that just hits me. <laughs> we were sent here for a purpose and if you don't know what that purpose is, then I tell you it is because you are aiming at earth. We will never be satisfied aiming at earth. We will never find purpose aiming at earth. We will never change this world in the way that it needs to be changed if we are aiming at earth. I want to show you a short video and then we're going to come back and pray together.
dirt floor. Water from a well over an hour's walk away. No real toys for the children, no clothes other than what's on their back. Shoes are many times non-existent, leaving their feet open to cuts and infection. There's no way of changing the life that they had no choice of being birthed into. How helpless of a feeling must this be? What's a supermarket? What's a washing machine? What's a shopping spree? What's a credit card? What's a latte? What's a lazy day of lounging on the couch in pajamas? What's a salary? What's a car? What's a second car? What's cable TV? What's a vacation? What's a weekend without the kids? What's Christmas shopping? What's we have too many toys even mean? Literally half of this world's population looks like this. Yet this is all they know. There's no real hope in something better. There's no future to dream of. This life provides the day-to-day -day exercise and survival. A hopelessness that, if coming from a place of privilege, is almost impossible to understand. We see it often. We see glimpses of the poverty and pain that exist outside of our cultural bubble, yet we have mastered the art of conveniently forgetting this reality really exists. We instead convince ourselves that there's reason to complain about our job or our school or our relationship status or our economic level. Yes, the stat that three and a half billion people live on less than two dollars a day is pretty incomprehensible. But the fact is, it's this one story of this one woman living out a story that she did not ask for, multiplied three and a half billion times. Our goal is for her to never be the same. We want how she thinks, how she feels, how she desires, how she hopes, how she fears, and how she dreams to never be the same. Tell me we can't make a difference for her. Tell me we can't make a difference for her neighbors, for her entire community. We are Bring Love In, and we are not an organization, but a movement. We are people from all over the world who are rising up and deciding that enough is enough. Right now, we're in Ethiopia. And we are focusing on assisting those single mothers that are just hanging on by a thread so they can stay together with their children. 
then for those where the word family is just a memory in the rearview mirror, we're forming new families. We are uniting those widows that still have motherly love to give and those orphans that just plain need a new place to start. Designed in us is a woven sense of compassion and love. The reason you haven't yet hit stop on this video is because of that truth. You feel, you feel deeply for these people and the question isn't whether or not you want to help them out because your nature says you do. But the question is how indifferent are you? How willing are you to suppress the compassion in your chest and ignore the goosebumps on your arms and convince yourself that you'll help out later? Because it's a lot easier, isn't it? And more comfortable to just convince yourselves that there's nothing you can do, that the problem's too big to actually make a difference. One of the biggest things that we as a human race are guilty of has nothing to do with the actual acts that we commit, but instead with the acts that we fail to commit. Let's be done with indifferent thinking. Let's be done with complacency and with feeling conviction but not ever acting on it. Let's move. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to just stop our life and come and, and just sit and just hear a little bit about your gospel. God, your gospel changes everything. Your, what you did for us changes everything. And I pray that you would just take us today and open up our hearts and put this truth in there that will never go away, that we can take what you've given us and we can change the world with it. God, I pray that you spur us to action, that you spur us to, to not be complacent, to not be indifferent about the needs that are in the world today. God, I pray that this becomes a turning point, a hinge, a pivot, a moment in our life that we can look back on when we say, God, you did something in my heart that day. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. It's such just absolute honor and privilege to be here. Um, there is a tree out back, a Christmas tree, and hanging on that tree are ornaments. On each of those ornaments is a need, just a small thing that we can, basically that you can do to help with the ministry that's going on in Ethiopia. A hundred percent of all the administrative costs for the ministry are already taken care of, so everything that you do goes straight to help widows and orphans in Ethiopia, and we would love to have you work with us, but let that just be the start. That is, that is a 1% thing of what God is calling us to do. This isn't just about giving money or just doing something today. This is about making a decision today and going somewhere with this. Thank you so much.